0: It's all about the Lord. With that, I want to ask all of you, what does the word Lord even mean to you? The definition of that is Lord. When you hear that word, what does the word mean to you exactly? And with this considered, what exactly does Christ as Lord mean to you? How do these words so often in Christian speech apply to you both in and outside of the church? Matt used the word sovereign in relation to Christ last week as Lord. With this considered, sovereign means the one who is in totally, total control of everything. Lord is often used to denote the person in charge, but Christ is the Lord of lords. That's big L over little L's. Past, present, and future. Just listen. As 1 Timothy six fifteen through 16, identifies him as the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Jesus is the sovereign over everything, including his communicating to and with us through these words. I said it before and I will preach it always because it cannot be said enough. Everything in God's words and in true biblical messages, connects. But the only way we can see the beauty of all the dots connecting is spending time in these words. This is just one of the many reasons our church celebrates Vacation Bible School. Wednesday night, I had the privilege of reading the following scripture to a group of third and fourth grade boys here at VBS. In this scripture, Jesus makes it very clear his claim to and power as sovereign Lord. Just listen very closely to what Jesus says in this simple but awesome narrative. We sang a song about the awesomeness of God just a moment ago. My wife often reminds me that everything is not awesome. You know, I I grew up in the 80s, so everything was awesome. But my wife often reminds me that, no, everything is not awesome. God is awesome. And this narrative found in Luke 19, 29 through 40, is mind-blowingly awesome. Please turn with me to Luke 19, starting in verse 29. I'm going to read through 40. So please turn to Luke 19, 29 through 40. And please read along with me and listen To Jesus' preparation for and ultimately a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When he approached at Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There you will enter. You will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. "'Untie it and bring it here. "'If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? "'You shall say, the Lord has need of it.' "'So those who were sent went away "'and found it just as he told them. "'As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, "'Why are you untying the colt?' "'They said, the Lord has need of it.' "'They brought it to Jesus, "'and they threw their coats on the colt "'and put Jesus on it. "'As he was going,' They were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, If these become silent, the stones will cry out. Wow. This is a mind-blowing example of the sovereign lordship of Jesus. Everything went just as Jesus had told them. He told two disciples to go ahead of him into Jerusalem. And that they would just conveniently find a colt tied up waiting for them. A colt which had never been ridden on, which, by the way, would mean that it's not tame. It would need to be broken if anyone were ever to ride it. But the Lord is not anyone. And what were the two disciples told to do if the owner were to question them for helping themselves to a cult that did not belong to them? They were to simply say, the Lord has need of it. And when this indeed happened, as Jesus knew it would, or rather I should say planned it would, the owner clearly submitted to the Lord's instructions without question. Just think about the reality of this for a moment. The owner of the colt, whose name we are not even given, his sole purpose in life was to raise and carefully care for a colt and never use it. A colt he would one day leave tied up and unattended to be claimed in the name of the Lord by two strangers, which happened just as the Lord said it would. Upon returning with the colt to Jesus, Jesus was immediately put on the untamed colt, which also meant the beast clearly knew that it was his creator that had been placed upon it and submitted accordingly. Soon after Jesus entered Jerusalem, just as it is written in prophecy many years before, and the crowd went nuts with reverence for him, shouting exactly what prophecy said would be shouted many years before. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And when the Pharisees told him to make the people stop worshiping him, Jesus said, if they do, the rocks will cry out. Not only was everything clearly orchestrated by Lord Jesus, but for good measure, he punctuated it with a claim of his lordship over the earth. Even the rocks will cry out. And the truth is, whether a person submits to Christ as Lord or not, everyone will one day eventually be subjected to the fact that he is exactly who he declares himself to be. In Revelation 1.8, where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, so says the Lord God, who was, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. It was stressed last Sunday that true believers honor Christ as Lord by following Christ as Lord Believers are to acknowledge his sovereign rule over everything, including our lives. And for our purposes, as believers, perhaps the most important aspect of our relationship with Christ can be summed up in four key words from our scripture today, found in 1 Peter 3.18. Those four words are, bring us to God. He, and only he, Jesus, can bring us us to God. Just as we learned weeks ago in 1 Peter 1, 21, only through Christ can we believe in God because as our Lord and as Hebrews 4, 14, 16 describes Jesus as the great high priest, he, the son of God, is the only way we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence because Jesus, Luke nineteen ten tells us, finds us, and saves us. And how does he do this? He brings us to God. Last week, God's word in 1 Peter 3.15 said we are to honor Christ as Lord. And today, in verse 18, it's made very clear why. Only Christ can bring anyone to God because he is the Lord And today's scripture outlines for us exactly why this is true. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Turning to 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3, and reading along with me verses 18 through 22. This is the word of God. For Christ also died for sins. Once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water corresponding to that baptism now saves you not the removal of dirt from flesh but an appeal to god for good conscience through the resurrection of jesus christ who at the right hand of god having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him please bow your heads with me and let's pray Lord Jesus, when I contemplate these words, your words, your truth, their power, it's almost overwhelming to think of even being able to speak to you freely. But something else that speaks to your perfect nature, your infinite nature, is your condescending to our level, delivering not just the love and kindness of God to a broken and desperate world, but you, Lord, did this by living a perfect life among your creation. And in doing so, gave us not only a Lord to follow, but access to God. Because you bring us to God, you alone. Through your words, Lord Jesus, and through your spirit, Lord Jesus, you and only you make it very clear. Not only are we to speak to you, but you tell us to do it without ceasing. And while you are currently sitting at the right hand of your Father in heaven, you continue to be ever accessible and active in our lives through your spirit. The grace that empowers us to believe in your death, your resurrection, and praise you as the Lord of all creation is the same grace that allows your children to call on you without ceasing. Thank you, Lord, for this, the greatest privilege in life, prayer. Now we pray that you, Lord, would intercede on behalf of all of us with your words. And always, if there is anyone here who's yet to hear And respond to your call. That you, Lord Jesus, would do the work that only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Again, only Christ can bring anyone to God. Because he is Lord. And again, in today's scripture, we're told exactly why this is true. By his death and with his resurrection the lordship of christ was confirmed for all of creation reading again first peter 3:18 for christ also died once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to god having been put to death in the flesh here peter gives us three truths that together help us to understand the fullness of the price Christ paid for us. It's only by one death, only by one righteousness, and only by one way that the children of men can become children of God. So why is it important that one death is so emphasized here? Because Under the Old Covenant, the Jewish people offered sacrifice after sacrifice and repeated sacrifices each year, especially at Passover. It was a never-ending process because the sins of earthly men are a never-ending process. But Christ changed this. His sacrifice was perfect, just as Isaiah 53 said it would be and must be. Jesus had done no violence. Jesus had no deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him and put him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering, which is exactly what Christ did in obedience to the Father. He gave himself up freely. And just like a sacrificial lamb, he was slaughtered. But he was a perfect lamb. And because of this, Jesus bore all of our griefs. Jesus carried all our sorrows Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our sins. Jesus accepted the punishment for our transgressions. All for our well-being so we could be healed. A sacrifice, the sacrifice so complete that it would never have to be repeated. Thus, Peter's statement, Christ died for sins once for all. Hebrews 10:10 10, 10 says, "By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all." But if Jesus was not blameless, Hebrews 9:26 says, "he would have needed to suffer often." But since his death was sinless, Hebrews tells us that Christ successfully put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9:28 continues, "having been offered wants to bear the sins for man. And because of this, listen to what Colossians 1.22 says. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Being reconciled means made right. Jesus, through his death, makes our relationship with the Father right by paying the debt of our sins, but Jesus had to do this willingly, which makes sense. Not only is he part of the plan, but the author of our salvation, just as Hebrews 2.10 calls him, echoing Isaiah, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to death, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Jesus had to obediently surrender himself to the will of his father, to the cross, and ultimately display an ultimate display of righteousness, which is exactly what he did. Second Corinthians 521 tells us he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 7:26 through 27 says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because Jesus, he did it once for all when he offered himself up. Jesus is often referred to as a great high priest. Traditionally, priests in the Old Testament would serve as a go-between between God and the people. The priests were often responsible for the ongoing task of offering up sacrifices. But Jesus, rather than giving an animal, gave himself. And being the great high priest, by his righteousness, has removed the wall between us and God the Father Because of his work on the cross, his perfect righteousness has been imputed on us. Imputed means placed on. Our sin was imputed on him. Our sin was placed on him. And he killed our sin on the cross. And in doing so, his righteousness was imputed on us. His righteousness was placed on us. Think about that. But it's important to understand that there's a difference between being righteous and being declared righteous. There's no one in this room or anywhere who is righteous, perfect, without sin. We will all continue to sin until Christ returns or we die and join him. But until then, we have been declared righteous because of Jesus, the one who is righteous and his just act on behalf of the unjust. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, testifying to the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled, says, he gave himself up for us, he being without spot or wrinkle, a perfect sacrifice, so we could be holy and blameless. Again, 1 Peter, in just the first part of one verse, verse 18, gives us three truths that together help us to understand the completeness that is the death of Christ. One perfect death, one perfect righteousness, equaling one and only perfect way that is, Jesus, that the children of men can be brought to God. But why should we trust these words, care, or even believe? Because of the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, there's nothing to believe in, nothing to hope for, no reason for any of this. Everything stands or fails with the resurrection. As made clear in 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 21, where it says, now if Christ is preached and he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testify against God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most pitied. But we don't just hope in his life or his death, do we? Our hope is eternal because of the resurrection of Christ. Confirmation that he is indeed the Lord hoped for in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament and therefore passing the scripture test. Just as Proverbs 35 says, every word of God is tested and he shall be a shield to those who take refuge in him. No one knows this better than Paul, former murderer of Christians who would become champion number one of the truth of the resurrection Listen to Paul's words at the beginning of Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God by the power of the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Please again, follow along with me in First Peter 3, starting at the end of verse 18, and I'm going to read through verse 21. But made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from flesh, but an appeal to God for the good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But made alive in the Spirit. Just as Paul said in Romans, the power of the resurrection from the dead happened according to the Spirit of Holiness. And while the work of the Spirit is impossible to fully wrap our minds around, something that is not impossible to feel and understand is a life-giving, transformative work the Spirit also gives believers upon true belief in Christ alone. The same Spirit of holiness that raised Jesus out of the grave is the same Spirit of holiness that seals and conforms believers into the likeness of Christ. Once saved while still challenged by sin. We are not left alone to wallow in our sin until he returns or we die. Jesus blesses true believers with his Holy Spirit, a helper and a counselor who matures us in Christ to walk with him rather than against him because of his sanctifying work in us, which simply means spiritual maturity, which only comes from knowing and listening to And applying his words, hearing and submitting to his voice. If the Holy Spirit is alive in a person, that person cannot help but change and grow more like Christ daily because the Spirit testifies, convicts, and therefore directs the hearts of believers to be the lights Jesus transforms us to be with new life. Only possible because of the resurrection. Because just as the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, Colossians 3.1 says, believers were rejected, were, were, sorry, resurrected with him, following the putting to death of our sins, which is also truly accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, and this is called being born again. His Spirit gives us new life, And not only life eternal because of sins forgiven, but freedom from sin slavery in this life. Which had to also be proclaimed according to scripture to the spirits now in prison who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Scripture is full of information that is tough to understand. And this is because we are on a need to know basis with God. I believe He wants us also to know and to remember He is God and we are not. Here we read Jesus in the Spirit went to make proclamation to the spirits now in prison who had rejected the truth preached by Noah for 120 years. This is impossible to fully understand. And when I struggle to clearly process something in God's words, only after a lot of prayer and time reading God's word, I will then look to a variety of commentaries. I want to acknowledge that commentaries are written by men, just men. Some of them very gifted, but still just men. Therefore, we must be careful to never give any man praise that belongs to Christ alone. Because he is the only one who brings us to God, and only his spirit can give us what we need to accept him as our Lord and Savior. Hence, for this challenge, that is comprehending verse 19, my favorite interpretation came from a commentary that started with these true and humble words. This passage is extremely difficult to interpret followed by what i found to be a christ honoring suggestion as to its meaning that being that christ was presenting himself to the souls that had rejected him even though noah even though through noah his coming had been preached for 120 years during the construction of the ark and that his visit to them in the spirit prison was a proclamation of the prophecy the inhabitants of the world rejected, but that he did indeed fulfill. Scripture must be fulfilled to prove true. And again, Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God is tested. Perhaps these words testify to Christ, making the truth of his life, death, and resurrection. And I will add lordship crystal clear for all who had rejected what the Holy Spirit had been promising through Noah for 120 years. Which is also consistent with Philippians 2, 9 through 11, which says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and listen to this, under earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. It's amazing to contemplate how horrible things must have been in the world that God could only identify eight people to be brought safely through the water. We think we have it bad. And the water was used to cleanse and clean the earth of all the sin that defined it. And in doing so, help us to understand the cleansing power of the baptism that saves. Not by the removal of dirt from flesh, but an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a baptism that happens upon true belief. Not to be confused with the obedience of testimonial baptism... While the physical act of baptism is an outward expression of inward faith, it does not save. It's a work. A work of obedience, but a work. The baptism that saves is not a baptism to be seen or witnessed by onlookers, but is an internal transformation. Titus 3.5 describes it as the washing of and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And no one spoke more clearly to this than John the Baptist. Listen to what he says in Mark 1.7. While preaching the coming of Christ. After me one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong on his sandals. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 1.13 tells us exactly How this happens. Listen. You were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed. You were marked with him. With a seal. The promise of the Holy Spirit. At true belief. A person is baptized. In the spirit of Christ. Having been resurrected with Christ. To eternal life. This is only possible because of his lordship. Look again at 1 Peter 3, verse 22. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone to heaven after angels and authorities and powers, listen to this, had been subjected to him. Which is why Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation And no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And Colossians one, fifteen through twenty magnifies his deity, stating that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. When you think about Christ, how often do you think about Jesus being the image of the invisible God? How often do you think about Jesus being the creator of all things in heaven and on earth? How does this directly influence your worship? How does this directly influence your prayers? How does this directly influence the way you think, speak, and act? And ultimately, the way you honor him as Lord. Perhaps the greatest example of an individual's reverence for the glorified Christ and Lord comes from John, the man who it appears was closest to Jesus when Jesus lived as a man. In Revelation 1, 12 through 18, John is so awestruck by the presence of his Lord, who also happens to be his dear earthly friend, that John did not even recognize Jesus because he was so overwhelmed with reverent fear for the presence of God. Listen to John, again, his best buddy on earth. Then I turned to see a voice speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the golden lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, again, John seeing the person he doesn't recognize as his best friend, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Then, in Revelation chapters 2 through 3, listen how Jesus addresses seven individual churches and in doing so, makes his lordship over the entire church body and all its members very clear. In Revelation 2, 1, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Revelation 2.8, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, says this. Revelation 2.12, the one who has a sharp two-edged sword, says this. Revelation 2.18, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this. Revelation 3.1, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, Says this. Revelation 3 7. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open, says this. In Revelation 3:14, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. Says this, says this, says this. Do you think Jesus wants us to know who is speaking? That he is Lord. The book of Revelation reads like an instruction manual for the church and its members in preparation for the return of the Lord. Who is no longer in the form of a man living as a humble servant. But is currently reigning in heaven as Lord God of the universe. Everything according to our scripture is subjected to him. And that is why he is Lord. And when addressing not just the seven churches, but all churches who claim to follow him, listen to how he ends each of his set of instructions given to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just as each of his seven messages stressing his deity and emphasizing his authorship with these words ends with says this, repeated seven times, he then bookends each message with, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Also seven times. He wants it made crystal clear that these are his words and that those who call him Lord are to revere these words and listen to his Spirit. And the words of his Spirit here in our Scripture today, First Peter 3, 18 through 22, make it clear that by his death and with his resurrection, the lordship of Christ was confirmed for all of creation. The title of today's message is Is Christ your Lord? If there's anyone here unsure, I'd like to ask you now Do you believe? In the life and death of Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Do you want Christ to be the Lord of your life? If so, and you've not done it, all you have to do in the privacy of your heart and your mind is tell Him so. Just respond. To his words. There are two words in today's culture, including many so called Christian churches, people like to avoid. The words are sin and repent. But the truth is, if there was no sin, which 1 John 4 4 simply defines as lawlessness, which even the godless know is everywhere, if there were no sin, there would be no need for Christ or salvation. The purpose of the gospel and the message of Christ's true church as made clear by Christ in Revelation is not to make us feel good. It's to save us. Our world is full of sin, and we are all sinners. But the good news is, once we are saved, our life does change. And while it's not an instant ticket to happiness... It is eternal joy, the confidence and grace of knowing the truth about everything around us and what the future holds. Which is why we need the blessing, the great blessing, that is repentance. Which simply means turning from the bad things in our lives to God. And acknowledging to him the bad stuff that, truth be told, just makes life more difficult than it has to be, which is called sin, and asking him for forgiveness and for the help to overcome it, that only he, as Lord of everything, will provide. If you do that and it's real, you're resurrected with him and will have eternal hope. And the next life and freedom from your sins in this life. If you are someone who's yet to do this, what are you waiting for? And if you're someone who believes everything that's been spoken of today, can you think of a more important and better reason to spend your time with other believers? You know, not just Sunday, but with other believers. You know, we also learned a few weeks ago in First Peter, I think, um, I think, no, I think, first chapter. Um, I think um, we are to honor everyone, but love who? The brotherhood. Yeah, and that's because we're all, we're like-minded for the most part. And with that, I also speak to the young people in here really quickly. Young people, please look up. Um, if you believe all this. Can you think of a better reason not to allow yourself to be unequally yoked if you're single? It's so important that your relationships reflect what you claim to believe. And there's nothing more telling about your life than your fellowship. You know, we are the people we spend our time with. I hope to see a bunch of you here tonight at our potluck. And I know Chip hopes to see a bunch of you at Bible study on Wednesday night. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you tell us in your word that your disciple Thomas, who knew you to be crucified and knew the truth spoke through the prophets and had heard you had been resurrected, still had doubts. That is until you showed him your scars from the cross. Thomas rightfully responded with the greatest proclamation in all of scripture regarding you with the words, my Lord and my God. Today, while we do not have the privilege of your physical presence, you offer us something even greater, your living spirit dwelling in our hearts, if only we believe. Thank you, Lord, for by your death, with your resurrection, we know you as the Lord of Lord's And because of this, we ask that you, Lord, give us here at Church of the Canyons, collectively and individually, the desire and ability to follow you with all we think, say, and do. Help us to celebrate this, just like the children did at VBS this week, with the desire to shine the light of you, Lord Jesus, in the darkness of the world. And if there's anyone here who's yet to hear and respond to your voice, Bless them now, Lord. Baptize them with your spirit as only you can do. You and only you, because you bring us to God. The great amen. Amen. Let's stand together to sing our last song.